Good morning. I'm Joni Williams, and it's my privilege this morning to read the gospel with you. We're looking at Luke 10, 17 through 24. If you'd like to turn there, English Standard Version. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your glorious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one who knows the Son is, is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that not many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. This is God's word. Praise be to God. Glad to be here with you all. I'm Pastor Brandon, and happy Mother's Day to the moms in the house. Congratulations, you made it to another Mother's Day. We're celebrating with you, and we're also praying for you, and for, for some of you, we're, we're mourning alongside you as we know that this, this Mother's Day is not all smiles and there might be some tears and some hardships and whether it's a, a difficult child, difficult season, that too shall pass, Lord willing, um, but there may be a loss of a loved one or a loss of a child and we know that firsts or seconds are, are challenging. So uh, let's open in prayer together. God, we lift up those here as we're reminded by your word to rejoice with those who rejoice, who you've added to their, their quiver, their household, uh, and mourn with those who mourn, those who maybe lost a, a child or loved one or uh, just a heavy heart. Maybe it's a difficult season and things are changing. We pray for your spirit to give them strength, comfort, and Lord, as we renew our joy in you every day, there's still challenges we face. And we're praising you and thankful you're with us. And your promise is true. You'll never leave us or forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we dive in, there's a question that we're asking, as many of you probably looked at today. And as moms, you probably asked, what are we going to do? Maybe your husband asked you that. What are we going to do? What's, it's your day. What are we going to do? We've seen all the way up until Luke 9. The question is, who is Jesus? And as Peter answered that for us, even the government and Herod and people were asking who Jesus was. Peter just directly said, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And now we shift. Okay, if he is the Christ and he is the Son of God and he's here in the flesh, what are we going to do? How do we live? And if you don't know what you're supposed to do, you're going to end up allowing many things to distract you from the main thing. This past season and seeing minor league baseball. It's been so clear. 
my wife would ask me, hey, what are these coaches talking to you on the field? And I'm helping out. And I'm like, they're just complaining. They're expecting like farm, like Babe Ruth, my like actual farm league for the majors quality baseball. And they're like seven, eight, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds. And a lot of them, you know, the dad, instead of giving him a glove, gave him an iPad or a phone the past four years. And instead, they show up with the glove on the wrong hand, their, their cleats are on the wrong feet, they're untied, and there's like Slurpee stain on their face from like three weeks ago. And, and they're just like, can I get another Slurpee? There's a truck right out here. It's like, okay, let's let that not park right outside our dugout next time, and let's focus on what we're here to do. And it's so true. So many of us are like that kid that walks out there and we're like, why did God put me in right field? Does he really expect me to do anything out here? And then you're like, the only entertainment I have is the bee circling the daisy out here. They're never going to hit the ball to me. And you go and play with the bee or pick the daisy and everyone yells at you. And you're like, geez, this is all I got. And you're going to take this from me? What am I supposed to do? I don't know. They put me out here. I'm not, I feel ill-equipped. I don't know what's going on. People are doing stuff in, in the infield. I guess the pitcher and the catcher just play catch. I don't know what I'm out here supposed to do. And many of you might feel like that today. You're like, cool, I'm doing church, I'm out here, I'm kind of wearing the clothes, I, have the, I don't really know how this works. And some of you moms are lost. You're like, sweet, get an illustration on Mother's Day, Pastor. I have no clue what you're talking about. When Jesus shows up and he gives the disciples his spirit, his power, his authority, they come back rejoicing in what they were doing and he calms them down and says, okay, that's, that's, that's okay. It's not bad to do those things. I told you to do it. You obeyed. But the good part, don't forget the good part. The most important part is your name's written in the book of life. You're, you're my ambassadors. I've given you the message. But, but rejoice in the fact that I've saved you and I've secured your salvation. I'm sovereign over it all. You're to love God and tell others about Jesus. And you're like, okay, I think I got the love God part. I got the Ten Commandments. I'll try and read this sometimes and see what I can do. And Jesus, that's good. He loves me. He loves you too. The Holy Spirit empowers me. That's new. I don't know. We didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit growing up and there's some weird things and tongues and that's just weird. I'd, I'd probably just avoid it. I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. That's where we're going today and seeing where Jesus stands alone from any other figure who claimed to be God, who, who claimed to fulfill all of the religious do's and don'ts. He did it perfectly. So he didn't say you need to be religious. He said you need a relationship. It's not about what you do to earn something from me. It's that I've already done it all for you and here's my spirit in you guiding you. Now go and you're my ambassadors. So starting in chapter 9, it changes from here's who God is to if he is the son of God, if he is God in the flesh, how does he call us to live? How is it that we're supposed to live differently? So over the next three weeks, we're going to skip next week and pick it back up. But this week we're talking about ambassadors. What is an ambassador? How are we to be ambassadors? And where do we get our joy, our strength, our peace? And then in two weeks we'll look at how do we be good neighbors? And the following week, worshipers. How are we worshipers? And these three, the greatest is certainly worshipers with with Mary and Martha. So the three things we're looking at today are first, joyfully representing the Lord as his ambassador. Second, the joy of salvation. The joy of salvation is ours to hold to and to freely give. And thirdly, the joy 
of sovereignty. God's sovereign over it all. He's in control of all things. So as we jump in here, we see that the 12 were associated in number with the 12 sons of Jacob in, in Genesis, which were the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Jesus, he, he's looking around, and, and in verse 2 it says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into his harvest. It's not our harvest, it's his. And, and as you're hearing this, you're looking at like 70 nations in Genesis 10. It wasn't Jesus saying, hey, we need more harvesters. He's trying to help us understand, yes, the harvest is plentiful, we need more harvesters. But as Genesis 10 reveals, it's a symbolic way of saying the gospel is supposed to go to the whole world. Jesus sends out his 12 apostles and he gives them authority and power to do three things. If we only read up to chapter 9, you'd say, that's right. That's the pastor's job. We pay him and, and, the, and the professional Christians, they get to do the ministry and we pray for them to do it because it's a lot of work. And hopefully they can communicate well and they do all those great things and, and that's what we do. It's their job. I'm sure glad I'm not doing it and it's not my job. If you read just up until Luke 9, that's your take. But then when you get to chapter 10, you see Jesus tells the 70 or 72, depending on the, the translation you read, and the scholars hold mostly that there's 70 Gentile nations that are represented in Genesis 10, which is exactly what Jesus is saying here. It's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. It's for the whole world, and the harvest is so plentiful, we need to send out the 70 two by two to reach the world. The word mission is from the Latin word missio. And we see here when he sends them out, he says, Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. In verse 4, carry no money bag, no knapsack, sandals, and greet no one on the road. And then verse 5, whatever house you enter, say, peace be to this house. And if there's peace, they'll, they'll welcome you in. And if not, then dust the, feet, dust the dust off your feet. And so he says for them to do this. In verse 9, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. And if they don't receive you, then in verse 11, dust the dust that clings to your feet and wipe it off and know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So he's saying you're dusting the dust of judgment off and you're walking away. It's God's harvest. It's who he draws and we're supposed to go tell. And so Jesus is saying, look, it's not just the leaders. It's not just the 12 disciples. It's for the whole church. It's for everyone who calls upon my name who is saved, then they're supposed to be a disciple. They're supposed to be a humble servant committed to following Christ. And here's the good news. You can be saved, and it's going to bring healing to you physically, and it's going to bring freedom from you spiritually that the demons will, will have to leave. And so that's the three things he's presenting, is God's here, and that message is bringing you who are once far from God, close to God, because he's going to remove sin. And there is an answer to sickness, and there is an answer to spiritual bondage. It's Jesus. He's over it all. And that's where we see they come back just mind-blown. They're like, whoa! I mean, we saw you do it, but man, I'm just a fisherman, and I cast a demon out of someone? That's amazing! I can barely catch fish! Now I'm casting demons out! This is awesome! And they started as humble fishermen, and Jesus' intent to stay 
in that mindset of humility. Because every disciple, as we define it, is a humble servant, servant committed to following Christ. Committed to his mission. So put it this way, a disciple is someone who's called radically into this mission purpose, humbly going wherever Jesus calls you to go, doing whatever Jesus calls you to do, empowered by the Spirit to speak what he's put on your heart to speak. So some are thinking right now, okay, that's, that's cool, Pastor. That's your calling. You went to school. You memorized the whole Bible. Not quite. I'm in the process. But you're, you're saying the same thing Moses said. I can't talk. I can't talk well. I'm slow of speech. Every time I talk to even my wife, I say the wrong thing, or at least I say it the wrong way, and I get in trouble. And you want me to go tell someone about the God? There's no way I can share the gospel. I'm slow of speech. And Moses says in Exodus 4, and, G, and, and God rebukes him and says, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gave him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to do. Exactly what Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I am with you to the end of the age. It's the same God who's saying, what are you talking about? I'm with you. I haven't called you to do something. I haven't equipped you or am going to equip you to do. I'm not telling you to go say something. You have no clue how to do it. I got my spirit. He's going to be in you. And others probably are saying, Look, yeah, that's cool for those people that are called to go and God can speak through them. But I just showed up. Like, I've never been here before. I've not even read this thing. I'm so inexperienced. There's no way that God's going to use someone with as little experience as me in ministry to go spread the gospel. How am I supposed to be an ambassador? How am I supposed to going to go represent the king and his message? As we see, our first point was we are ambassadors, joyfully representing the Lord. How do we joyfully represent the Lord if we feel so inadequate? Like Jeremiah said, I'm just a child, I can't go. He said, and God answers, don't say I'm only a child. Don't say you're so ill-equipped. You must go to everyone I send to you I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, he says in Jeremiah 1.7. You don't need to fear because I'm with you. You don't just know God from afar. You know him intimately. As the Holy Spirit fills and seals you, transforming you to be a disciple means to radically enter into the Trinity dance where the Father is glorifying the Son, the Son's glorifying the Spirit, and now the Spirit's in you, and you have this intimacy to be healed, to be blessed, to be a part of that dance where you glorify the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And Jesus wants this message so scandalous that the worst of the worst sinners could be brought into that dance of a holy and pure God in relationship not by what they, they've done, not by what they can do, but by what Jesus has already done for you. He and he alone forgives sin. Here's how it would work. You can almost hear God saying, look, before I met you, when you were having to be on your own, figuring out how to be your own savior, when you were having to manufacture, to produce, to, to dream up and devise your own sense of significance and what, what benchmark you'd have to attain and always fighting against that losing battle of the inner sense of inadequacy. It's understandable that you are so self-absorbed and self-focused self and self-centered. 
because it's all about you. It's all your problems and how you're going to overcome them and figuring out how to design your own boots and put your own bootstraps on so then you can pull your, yourself up by your own bootstraps and it's all about you all the time. And, and now I've met you and now I've dealt with your shame and now I've taken your sin and I've washed you clean and I've provided not just removal of sin, but I've given you the satisfaction that your deepest, deepest longing of your heart desires. And the words of love and truth have spoken to your ears and, and you can hear it and your mind is exploding that God loves you and has a plan for you. And no matter the pain, no matter the hardship, God is there with you walking through it alongside you. And his spirit is in you. And so he's saying, look, I'm sending you to go live for others, no longer for yourself. So when hardships come, it's like, okay, Lord, how are you going to use this through me to help others see you. This is extremely exhilarating and exciting because it means we're his ambassadors. We're joyfully representing the Lord, saying, here's the message. It's good news. I was far off and he brought me near. Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite verses reminds us, as, as Paul's, I think, meditating on this, going, man, we're supposed to go. He's, he has this amazing plan for us, these purposes for us to walk in, as he saves us by grace, not by works. It's by his grace we put our faith in him and are saved. And he says, For you are God's workmanship in Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus. God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. No, it's all about God the Father and God the Son here and, and what they're doing in you and creating you for. And it says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. First, we have to be created in Christ Jesus. Then we do the good works which he prepared in advance for you to do, which is the third part of our message. The sovereignty. He's planned it. He's in control of it. We just have to walk it out, which is how that verse ends. You just walk in it. It's easy. You're God's workmanship. created to do these good things. What's great is that you're sent out into this huge mission to reach the whole world to do these particular things to help these specific people. Interesting thing is your words, your experiences, not just your joys, but especially your sorrows and your failures, your race, your age, your gender, your gifted mix. The Spirit sealed you to hold a specific person's hand and to fulfill that purpose God's planned. That I can't hold that hand. I'm not in that position. I haven't walked the walk you've walked. I haven't been transformed the way that God's transformed you so that you could help meet that need that only you can meet. And there are some demons that only you can cast out, like we talked about last week. Prayer and fasting. I move too fast for fasting. It kills me. So it's like, hey, we got to cast a demon. Okay, I'm going to call someone who's a little slower. We're going to do this right. And we're going to go deep. And, and we're going to fast and pray. As a church, we work together. And then some of you that are a little slower, you're like, man, that pastor keeps pushing me. Like, let's go. We got the whole world to reach. What are we doing sitting here? So I'm going to work on keeping my sermon shorter so we can go reach more people, okay? So there are certain people God's prepared for you to be the healing agent of his grace in their lives. So when we hear that, that Jesus sent these disciples out, and then the other 72 or 70 that were there and they come back and they're like, hey, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They started to get too excited about the, the demons are subject to us. And they didn't finish the sentence as passionately as they should have. 
And we see that this is against the worldview that's reigning because the, the worldview in our society, there was, I mean, it's no surprise, I'm sure, as you look out, it's this thought that there's this thrownness where it's just everything's thrown out there, right? We just kind of appeared and there's kind of this haphazard and so if anything's uncomfortable or there's a definition you don't like, you could redefine things, you can move things around. I'll never forget uh, moving back to the Central Coast, and the church I was working at was like, hey, meet us at Denny's. I'm like, oh, you guys do meetings at Denny's? That's interesting. We go to Denny's, and there's this guy. His name is Oz Guinness. And I was like, I've heard that Guinness before somewhere. I'm not really sure where. Um, his grandpa invented Guinness beer. So I was already like, okay, what's this guy have to say uh, about Jesus? And, and he, he was just the scholar of scholars. And anything he says, you're like, wow, that guy's grandpa invented beer? Yeah, this guy's a genius. And he was talking about postmodernism and this idea of we're just kind of thrown out there and you can redefine things. When you go to Denny's and you order a hamburger and they bring you pancakes, there's a lot of problems there. A lot. Especially if you're gluten-free and you ordered a protein-style burger. You're like, oh, it's all gluten. What are you doing to me? And that's what's happened in our world. And we're like, okay, we'll just tolerate it. I'll just eat the pancakes because I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to love people. The problem is you can't redefine things and expect it to be okay. It's, it's going to cause problems. And he just left it there. And I was like, you can't, you can't leave me hanging. I'm not that smart to keep thinking. Like, I need help. You got me here. I need some help. What do I do now? And now we're in a militant culture where it, not only does it say, hey, we're going to have disagreements on the definitions. It's, you can't think that way. You have to stop thinking that's a burger. You have to understand the reality that this is actually a burger, and you have to submit to my definition. It's okay to be a Christian, but you can't tell anyone about Christ, because actually you need to abandon Christ, and you need to come to my thinking and follow my logic. And so we see that it's Jesus' power, and how we respond to that is the second point. Our joy is in the salvation of Jesus. It's not in the fact that we win arguments. It's not in the fact that we have truth and we just pound people over the head with truth and it's our truth because it's not our, it's Jesus' truth and he gave it to us. And now we hold to it and we're ambassadors of it, but it's really Jesus' truth and Jesus is the message and Jesus is the way to God. And Jesus showed us how we're to live because when our enemy comes, Jesus says, first turn the other tree, cheek, then bless those who persecute you Bless and do not curse. And he says, hey, pray for those. Pray for your enemy. Here's how we respond. We pray because our salvation is not on our works. It's not on our ability to have some argument that's true and sound because to someone who's spiritually dead, they can't handle the truth. That's not a, a, a quote from a movie intended. It, they just can't hear it. They can't see it. And, and you're like, I want them to get it. Like that little league kid in right field. Like you're a part of the team. Just focus. Because when the throw comes to first, you're supposed to back it up. They're like, I don't even, this is not going to, I don't get it. I don't see it. If there is a throw to first, it's not going to, it's going to be short. There's no way it's going to be long. Like this is not happening. And then they get, the more you know about God and the more you grow, you're like, oh, now the game's getting faster, and, and you can throw harder, and all of a sudden when there's a throw to first, you need to back them up at, in right field, and you see your position work. And so as we see the process of a disciple, we see that the joy of our salvation isn't in our ability to work and do the good works. Our ability, 
Our joy it comes from the ability that God gives us. Our joy comes from the knowledge that God gives us. Our joy comes from the position that God gives us. And then we know how we're supposed to live. So everyone that meets Jesus has a message. The joy of salvation is the message of the gospel. That we're saved. That we were in sin and now we're saved. So everyone who meets Jesus not only is an ambassador representing God from the heavenly realm to the earth, but the message is the gospel. And that's where our joy comes from is that we're saved. In the last part of chapter 10, there's a parable of the good Samaritan we'll see in a couple weeks. And that's how our actions back up our words. That's where our life supports what we're saying. And people don't care how much unless they know how much you care. So we're to be caring about our communities, caring about physical needs, caring about the spiritual needs together so that it's not just one or the other, it's both and. We're to tell them the kingdom of God is near and if they won't listen to you, be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near to you. In verse 16 he says, he who listens to you listens to me and he who rejects you rejects me. The fact is this, that every single disciple Jesus gives a message to, gives them the gospel, and they're publicly called to proclaim. They're called to preach the gospel and urge everyone to believe it. And as we said earlier, the society is saying, no, 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 you, you can believe what you want to believe, but you don't tell me what to believe. In fact, you actually need to believe what I believe. And that's why we're in this post, we've been in this postmodern, and now we're in a militant postmodern where truth collides and, there's, and, and that's where for all, the reality is, I mean, the whole Bible was written, the New Testament, and the whole Bible was because there's ideologies that went against God. And God stepped in and said, no, here's the truth. My prophet's going to speak, and you're going to kill him. And I'll give you another prophet. Give me another prophet. And you're going to listen. You're going to hate it. You're going to kill him. And then Jesus shows up. And what they do to Jesus? He loved them. He raised the dead. He gave sight to the blind. He healed people. And he said, I'm the only way to God, like every other prophet said about me. And now I'm here. And they said, yeah, we're going to kill you too. And then Jesus says, deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily. Because every day you're going to look like Jesus. Every day you're going to talk like Jesus. Every day you're an ambassador of Jesus proclaiming the message. And the joy is that you're an ambassador. And the joy is that you have salvation and it's not in what you do, it's what God's done for you and through you. And that's why we call people to believe this gospel message. What is the word gospel? Man, it keeps going on about that G word, gospel. It's an objective, history-changing event that changed everyone's situation, that everyone needed to respond to. So this is the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus, was this document in Greek that started like that. So this document in Greek starts out, this is the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. Like, what is that? What is that document about? It was this document that was carried out, and they would go and declare, this is the gospel of Caesar Augustus when he was in power. And like our society, we would say, yeah, whoever Caesar is, he's not, he's not my president. He's not my ruler. But then it's like, I'm listening to what he has to say because it's going to affect my taxes this next year. It's going to affect what I do and where I go and, and what he thinks about things. And what is the gospel, right? In our day, people are like, oh, I'm so angry about what a court decided. I'm going to go protest at church. I pray for them because there's a lot of evidence here about what people have encountered when they go against God. And it's not usually well unless they're like the thief on the cross, unless they're like doubting Thomas that come even with their doubts and say, I just need, okay, I see you, I believe. But like 
we see here the gospel is an announcement. It's not on us to do anything. It's on us to share. Like Joshua walking around, he just walked. God prepared good works for us to do. Not to fight with sword and shield, not to raise a knife like Peter, but to walk in the wisdom. As Jesus said, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. What is this gospel? Why is it so important and why does the world hate it so much? It's news that is history changing. As we look back in 490 BC, it's probably the most famous example of of where this this word came from. There's a battle of, of Marathon. The Persians were invading Greece and the Athenian army went out to the plains of Marathon to battle against the Persians. And everyone placed their bets. Before Vegas was a thing, they placed their bets on Persians to win. So everybody in Athens was getting everything in order, and there was looting, there was rioting, that was preparing to happen, it was just unrest, and there was this anxiety. And, and they knew that when the Persians, when, when in Athens, they knew as soon as the Persians broke through the army, they'd be defenseless. And so, um, to everyone's surprise, the Athenians won and defeated Persia. But as soon as they won, they realized they needed to communicate the gospel. They realized that unless they got word back, There'd be panic and stress in the streets and there'd be death and looting and plundering and it'd be a mess, much like what we've seen in the past you know, year or two ago. It's just unrest. And so they needed to communicate the gospel. It's critical. They didn't have a phone. They didn't have email. They didn't have a, you know, a little Morse code thing. They had to get someone to run, which I would have been the last choice, like for sure. There's no chance. Okay, we need a runner, not Brandon, anybody else. Anybody? Okay, sweet. Send him. And so he ran all the way back from Marathon to Athens. You know how long it was? It was 22 and a half miles. So obviously that wasn't long enough, so we added more miles for a modern marathon now. But that's where we got the word marathon. It was like a good start. We're more advanced. We have like drugs we can take and steroids. We can run more miles and we can run longer apparently than that guy. And, and probably, you know, rainbow sandals, leather sandals, some like Sauconies, you know, it helps you run a few extra miles. But he ran, that's insane, probably in sandals with little cleats on him to get some better traction while he's fighting. And after the battle, he runs back. Maybe they figured after fighting that accounts for the extra miles. So he runs back and he gets into town and he proclaims, rejoice, we've triumphed. And then he fell down dead from the run. That would have been me for sure. Like if there was no one else and I had to run, I would have just died. Uh, That was what happened last time I ran a half marathon. Uh, I was throwing up. Everyone's like, dude, is that guy going to die? And my kids were looking at me like, dad, you shouldn't have run. Like, mom, what'd you do to him? And the ambulance hooks me up all the, you know, all their whatever diodes and computers. And they're like looking at my wife like, did you just like pull him off the couch? Like, who is this guy? You trained for this? Like, No, he did. He did great last week. Not today. So my family said, you're never allowed to run another half marathon. That was strike two. Both times didn't end well. So I said, I'm going to run. I am. Like, I'm committed. I run fast. Like, I'm going to do it. You know, in my mind, just body's not always there. I'm going to do another marathon, half marathon. But I'm going to do it in heaven. That's the, that was the condition we came to. So when I have new legs, new feet, new body, I'll do the whole marathon. It'll be great. And you guys will all be there to cheer me on. But are we 
Are we running the marathon? Are we ambassadors? Do we have the gospel? Do we have that urgency? Do we have that dire need that we understand with our mind that we're growing in that passion that we're going to run, even if it means we drop dead? Like that's the goal of what Luke is trying to get Theophilus and us to wrap our minds around, that we're ambassadors. We're here behind enemy lines in another country to present the good news that you're in sin apart from God, but Jesus came to forgive you of that sin and bring you close to God again, bring you near to him and proclaim that good news. So they come back, like I was saying earlier, and they're like, yes, the spirits are subject to you. And Jesus says, look, you guys think it's cool that they listen to you, huh? Well, in verse 18, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, which is the the figure of speech for demonic and dark forces. So anything demonic and spiritual that comes against you, which, like last night, my daughter screamed and shouted and ran out of the bathroom crazy, and I was like, oh, man, there's like a line in there. It was a a spider that came down from the ceiling. So to to be honest, like there is that reality. Like there's that fear. And then when there's a spiritual enemy, you're like, I, don't, I can't cast a demon out that's terrorizing like we saw last week. Jesus gave them power and authority over that. And he says, look, when I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, he was claiming almost casually, I was there before the foundation of the world. I was there before the material universe existed. I am the uncreated second person of the triune God. I am God. Now, if he's just a prophet... He has some teaching about God. That's advice, you might say. But the message of Jesus Christ is not that I'm a teacher. It's I'm God. And the whole point is he's saying, look, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Yeah, that's good that you got to cast the demons out. But the good part is your names are written in heaven. Your names are secure. The blood has washed you clean. Now you're a new creation. Do you realize that he's claiming that you can't just believe Jesus is a good person. You can't believe Jesus is a good teacher because he claimed to be God. So either he's not a good person, he's lying to you, or he's, he's crazy and insane because only an insane person would claim to be God. So he has to be Lord, God, a liar, or a lunatic. Those are your only options. You can't just say he's a good teacher. He doesn't give us that option. And we are supposed to be known by our love for another, as we proclaim the truth of the gospel for all to believe. So when you say it's okay to believe in Jesus, just don't convert anybody, what you're really saying is you must not believe in Jesus. What you're really saying is my cosmology, my view of the universe is the actually only one for you to adopt. And that's where as Christians, we, we have this idea that we have to either be militant and defend or, or we just submit. But instead, Jesus gives us this, hey, you're supposed to confront error with truth, but do it in love. Not just do it for your own pride, your own arrogance, and be like, well, I have truth, and even the demons submit to me. No, 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 no. Those are good things, and you're going to do those good works, but are you doing it in love? And are you doing it the time I've called you to do it, and the place I've called you to do it for my glory, not your own? So rejoice in the fact that you're saved. Yes, we can rejoice in the power and authority that I've given you, which, by the way, no other kind of God or religious leader that people invent, they always keep that for themselves. Jesus is the only one that said, I'm going to suffer and serve you and die for you. And by the way, here's my power, my glory, also my spirit's in you. 
because you're so broken and messed up. What I've called you to, to be holy, you can't do. That's why I'm putting my spirit in you. And it has to do with your motivation. So we see joyfully, we're representing the Lord. Secondly, the joy of the salvation. And thirdly, the joy of the sovereignty. And, and we see that what he's saying here, lastly, is where are you resting? Right? I don't want you to get a sense of yourself that's casting demons out. I don't want you to feel like you're somebody. I don't want you to rest in that you were able to cast demons out of people or you're able to feed the homeless. That's a good thing to do, but it's not the good part. The good part is you're saved. It's not what you do. I don't want you to, to get your strength and your purpose from the things you do. I want you to get, he's saying, look at what you're resting in. Look at the things you're rejoicing in to get a sense that you're somebody, that your power, your gifts, your accomplishments, your performances are somehow coming from you. That's why he's saying, look, when Satan fell, it was pride. The same thing that you're looking at, at your own actions, is the same thing that caused Satan to fall. Pride comes before the fall. And if you say, here's how I know I'm somebody. People actually listen to me. I'm having an impact. Jesus is hinting that it's not going to help the social fabric and, and the aching desires of our hearts because you're pointing to another human being. You're not pointing to the Savior of all humanity, of all sinners. And you're saying, look at all the things I can accomplish. Look at my power, my performance. In fact, people who rejoice in their ministry, which many social media accounts, there's an account like Preachers and Sneakers, which is why I'm wearing sandals, okay? They're like 35-hour rainbows. I don't know, maybe inflation, they're 60. I don't know. But here's the thing. When you look at someone's social media account, it's a window into who they are and what they're, and if it's all about them and their clothes and their jets and who they are, look at, I got these thousands of people, I got this, I got this book coming out, buy my next book, couldn't get the last one, and it's all about me, me, me. And, you're, and you look at just the word Jesus, which demons can't say the name Jesus. They flee, they shudder. And so how often are you uttering the word Jesus? How often are you talking about your thing and that thing and the good thing and the hard thing and it's all about you? And Jesus is saying, don't rejoice. The demons, yeah, Satan's already conquered. I'm God. Satan's already conquered. What do you think? There's a battle going on? It's already over. That's why we have Revelation. That's why we have the book. That's why he said the Holy Spirit's in you, and I'll never leave you or forsake you. There's nothing that's coming against you. He said right here in verse 19 at the end, nothing shall hurt you. That's a hard thing to read. Wait, I'm supposed to have joy in that you're sovereign and nothing's going to hurt me? What, why am I still sick? Why is COVID a thing? Why, why is my finances taking a turn? What about the Things are going to hurt. They're suffering. But he's saying your eternal state is secure. You don't have to worry. Trust and have joy that I'm sovereign. And trust in me, not in what you're going to do for me, but trust that's already been done by me for you. So we have to focus on where our joy is coming from. Are we joy-filled as we are ambassadors for Christ, representing Christ, are we joyful in our salvation? Are we joyful in the fact that he is sovereign? And as you share the gospel, so you're, you're the runner and you're there and you're like, wow, I have an open door to share the gospel. What do you share? Maybe you're like me and you're going, man, the gospel, that's 66 books, still in a revelation, 65, uh, 
and you're like, I don't need, Genesis, it's like all mess, it's like days of our lives, like there's so much there, I, once you start, where do you, where, I don't know, and you get it, you're like, I don't even, I've never read this whole thing, how am I supposed to share the gospel, who's Jesus, I don't know, the pa- that's the pastor's job, stop, read Luke 10, don't stop at Luke 9, it's our job, it's not just mine, and so I'm going to equip you, you talk about God, in Genesis, he creates us in his image, and the whole Bible supports, there's a ton of verses you could support that. Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. You have someone read that, and it's like, all right. You can definitely tell if they're, as you read here in, in Luke 10, are they a person of peace? Are they going to open the door and say, hey, keep talking to me about this? Or are they going to prove themselves a fool and say, no, there is no God, conversation over. All right. That's clarity. That means there's someone else God has for you to share the gospel to. You're an ambassador. Your job's not done. You're still on mission. It just means you humbly say, okay, and go to the next person. And tell them, hey, you're in sin. If they go, nah, hey, buddy, you shut up late for work and you said you're on time. Okay, fine, I'm a sinner. Well, no, and last Friday you drunk dialed me and you're saying, oh, you're, you're a worse sinner than you admit. Oh, okay, maybe you got me on it. You know, and there's, once you, okay, I'm a sinner. All of sin and falling short of the glory of God. Hey, I'm a sinner too. I'm not religious. Good, I hate religion. Yeah, we're, but it's a relationship. Let me introduce you to Jesus. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift, which always blows me away that people turn that down. It's like of all free things you're going to get in this world, which nothing's really free, but Jesus, it, he paid it all. And they're like, ah, I, don't, I think I want to work for it. Oh man, Satan has a hold on you and your flesh dies hard. It's free. You can't earn it. What are you talking about? You're going to go pull weeds in some lady's yard? Do you think you're going to earn all the sin you've ever done are going to do by doing one. No, you need Jesus' blood to cover you. And we end there usually because we, we like to make it soft and warm. We say, hey, God created you in his image. Okay, cool. Hey, you've sinned. Yeah, maybe once or twice. Um, but I think I'm doing pretty good. Hey, Jesus loves you. He died for you. Oh, great. I'm glad someone else loves me. Hopefully he'll like me on Facebook. And we end it there. That's not the gospel. The gospel has to elicit a response where we radically, 100% die to ourselves and say, I believe, I'm following Jesus. Because the demons acknowledge who Jesus is, and the first three work for the demons, but they can't receive Jesus. They constantly reject Jesus. So you have to give them an opportunity to respond. That's why Peter stands up and says, believe and be baptized. Believe, that's it. And so many Christians, every time I present the the gospel to equip you to... share this way they're like yeah i shared i just can't get that response i know it's hard but jesus is with you and like we said earlier he's going to tell you what to say and he's going to put you in a place to say it the gospel is news that are that's objective history changing event that changes everyone's situation when jesus walked out of that grave it changed everything now we have to submit to him or we have to reject him that's our only two options and everyone needs to respond to the gospel Many are responding every day, rejecting it, because they've not heard it. And there's 100,000 people in our county that have never heard the gospel. And God has a church of people here that just two years ago, there was like 70 of us, 80 of us. And God's grown it. As the church grows, it's like, wow, I know more, which then compels us to go and share more. And so as we go and share the gospel, let's not get excited about numbers Because every number has a name, and every name has a story, and we get excited about the fact that every story matters to God. And that's what 
drives us is that we have a God who's sovereign and knows our story. And we have the gospel that he's forgiven us of all of our sin, undone the shame, and comforted us. And now he's given us an identity as ambassadors to go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel. That's the good part. The good part is that we focus on not what we can do for God, but what God's done for us in Christ. The good part, as we pray now, is rejoicing not in what we can do, but what God did for you in Christ. And as we, as believers, take this as a remembrance of Christ's body given for us and his blood shed for us to forgive us of our sin that some of you may have yet to trust in him. And you're thinking there's something you have to do. There's thinking, man, I got to be equipped or I have to know the right word. No, you don't have to do anything but humbly fall at Jesus' feet. And believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead and say, I believe. You'll be saved, period. And be baptized, proclaim that you're joining in his death and resurrection spiritually. We're not going to actually kill you and wait for you to come back to life. It's a belief. It's that easy and it's free. And that's what's so hard for us is because we feel like we've done so much bad, we have to compensate it with good, but you can't do it. That's why Jesus did it for you. And as we reflect on this, we're his ambassadors. And there's a whole world that's coming against us. And Jesus said, yeah, but I'm here. I got you. Are we going to be defeated? No. Are we going to be crushed down? No. We're not going to be destroyed. We're going to be hurt, distracted, but that's why he gives us grace every day. So as we go to him and pray, I encourage you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you, guide you, comfort you, and allow you to be, feel forgiven. And I'll come up and close this in prayer.